Hi everyone, I'm your host, Jaco Selka, and you are listening to Hopefully Sustainable. Each week, I'm going to talk to extraordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make the world a more sustainable place. My goal is for this episode to leave you feeling hopeful about an idea, a person, or the world in general. Thank you for joining me in this conversation, and all together we can be hopefully sustainable. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Hopefully Sustainable. I'm really excited about today's episode. I am introducing you to Anne Alexis Bennett-Alexander. Anne Alexis is one of the most interesting, passionate, hopeful guests that I have had on the show so far. She has traveled to over 67 countries and learned about how all humans are connected to each other and there's a lot more similarities between us all than differences. She has recently settled back into her home state of Georgia and she's taking all that she has learned from her experiences and bringing it into the sustainability world. She recently founded a nonprofit called the Eco Incubator. They are building a 0% emissions community facility located in Oglethorpe County, and this facility will serve the community through educational purposes and serve as an example of how we can have 0% emissions facilities. We get into all of her experiences abroad and how she has chosen sustainability as a career pathway. We also get into a really interesting conversation about how both of us want to bring Georgia to the forefront of the conversation of sustainability. You wouldn't necessarily think of people from Georgia as the people behind the sustainability movement, but there's so many incredible voices and people who are a part of the sustainability movement located here in Georgia and in the South, And she is a critical part of bringing Georgians and bringing the sustainability world of Georgia to the table. So I think you all will really enjoy this episode. Let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. I'm really excited about today's guest. One of our former guests, Nithra, who did the composting episode with me, she highly recommended our guest today. So welcome, Anna Alexis. She is the founder of the Eco Incubator located in Georgia, and I'm really excited to get into all the incredible work you do. But first, can you introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about who you are? Um, my name is Anna Alexis Bennett Alexander, and I am the founder of the Eco Incubator. Um, I grew up in the Athens, Georgia area and um, grew up in a household where my mother grew our food and um, think had I had roots of sustainability and resourcefulness at a pretty young age. So um, I have now or am now in the process of developing Georgia's um, first zero carbon emissions community service site. And from that space, we will teach the community about human sustainability as well as environmental sustainability. So everything from beekeeping and homesteading, um, how to make your own soaps and lotions and cleaning agents to uh to meditation and mindfulness, yoga, and uh, 
a variety of other useful coping um, coping mechanisms that we'll teach uh, from that space. This is such an interesting and exciting idea, and it's so amazing to know that it's happening right in our home state of Georgia. But before we get into more about the Eco Incubator, I was reading all about you on the website and you have a super interesting educational background. Can you walk us through your experience in higher education and what your background is? Oh, absolutely. It's, um, it's traditional in a sense, but um, it, it also has been very untraditional in a lot of ways. Um, I attended the University of Georgia. I originally thought that I was going to go into the FBI and, mm. and I studied criminal justice and psychology. Um, when I graduated, my mother encouraged me to attend culinary school because I had always had such a great passion for food. Um, and in my mother's great fashion, she encouraged me to go the best place, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that we could find, um, the best place in the world at the time. And so I attended Le Cordon Bleu in Paris, uh, France, and also in London, England. I graduated um, in 2003 and then went on to travel all around the world learning about food cultivation, food as medicine, and studying with a variety of chefs at different levels. I've worked everywhere from the Four Seasons to um, family-owned establishments. And I took that trip over the course of 20 years, essentially, um, that learning uh, course and across 67 different countries, wow. um, establishing a career and learning about uh, these varieties of um, healing practices and nurturing that are used across the world in, in unique and special ways. I came back to Georgia to start this foundation because I always, uh, when I taught English in other countries, I always encouraged people to leave, um, to leave and, and learn, but always to come back to their country and teach people about what they've learned. And so that's exactly uh, what I plan to do with, with this foundation. Wow, that's incredible that you've been to that many countries. What were some of the main things you learned from your time abroad? Oh, where to begin? So many <laughs> things. I think the most profound thing that I learned was um, how much we are alike. And I think that that is so much of what encouraged me to continue my education in mental health counseling and then in um, to, to then move forward into traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda. Um, being able to see the vast similarities across cultures, generations of people, races of people was really uh, very astounding. And um, what I connected that to in my mind was um, an idea or a concept that we could take practices and methods and techniques that people were using in other countries and adapt those here. Because we had all of these similarities, we could also have similar practices. Um, I, the 20 years that I spent abroad were basically during 2000, essentially to now. Um, and what I've had the opportunity to watch 
is globalization develop over time across mm -hmm. borders, how that impacts people, what that looks like in what the day-to-day -day regimen um, ends up being and uh, how much it impacts people's lifestyle, uh, sense of health, um, personal feelings about who they are, what it looks like for the workplace, um, what it looks like for the types of jobs that people do. Um, and I think that having that very hands-on experience of watching globalization unfold, as well as watch concepts and methods and techniques related directly to sustainability and resourcefulness dwindle as globalization took over, um, struck a really strong chord with me. Um, because the more I saw that happening, the more I saw the instability of everything um, around me, which is obviously right where we are now, is uh, a mass of these instabilities coming to head globally mm. and having an impact on everyone because, of course, we are all connected. Yes, definitely. Can you talk about your goal to empower everyone through a holistic practice? And can you explain what holistic means? Holistic is simply the, when, you, when you're looking at a situation, you're taking into as many variables as possible to determine the best choice of action. So when we talk about holistics, we're talking about using what we already have access to, to create the kind of outcome that we want. Um, in concepts where you're talking about foods, holistic or, or medicines, holistics tends to refer to using ingredients or consuming things that are most natural meaning most organic from how they are propagated. Um, less chemical means less toxic. Um, but then holistic from a social standpoint um, has more of a concept of unity and higher level consciousness and connectivity to the things around you, being the environment and each other. Um, so, the concepts behind the eco incubator and the work that we're doing is foundationally dependent on education. Education is the most valuable piece to what we do because there's so much that we don't know as a society and as a culture about what it is to be truly independent. We depend on um, a healthcare system that has shown itself not particularly to provide for everyone. We depend on um, a food processing system where I can say from my experience alone, having traveled 67 countries, eating street food and all of them, I have never had a foodborne illness anywhere except for in the United States of America. Wow. Um, twice, once from spinach and once from an egg, salmonella both times. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so that's just an aside, but the idea of empowering people towards their health 
towards their shelter and towards their food. These are our basic needs. When you can teach people and offer people an education that allows them an opportunity to provide for themselves their basic needs, the natural byproduct of that is empowerment. And it is more independent living. And I think that that's invaluable because we are living in a time that shows us how important it is to be capable, to be capable of what happens if a store closes? What happens if medication is not accessible? How can we live lives and create lifestyles that are preventative when it comes to ill health and ill living styles and malicious coping mechanisms and turn that into something where we are independent, empowered people who are capable of everything from troubleshooting the simplest issue to the most complex. The simplest being, how are we going to get through this day to day to what we're looking at that's more complex now? How are we all going to make this work and, and come together in a way that's effective and balanced for everyone? It's really about thriving. Um, I, oddly enough, grew up being conditioned to think that I was part of a great country that was supportive of me and cared about me and wanted to see me thrive, not survive from every moment of the day to the next, but really thrive, accomplish things based on the natural skill sets that I know I have and the education that I have access to from what you've provided me. But that hasn't been quite how it's mapped out. So so much of it requires us to now take into our own hands what education looks like, what food access looks like, what housing looks like, what relationships look like, what community looks like. And um, that's really our, our goal. And, and that's my purpose, really my purpose in life um, is to help bridge that gap, desensitize people towards what sustainability looks like you know, we get these commercials or these shows on TV and it's like, I stepped into my macaroni and cheese trying to get upstairs to my bed because this house is so tiny. I had to give away my cat and my dogs and all my clothes because this place is so tiny. And what people aren't realizing is it's a, it's a, it's a thought process that goes into even perceiving the space as unaccommodating. And it also isn't a requirement that you be in a very tiny space in order to be sustainable. It's about rethinking how we do things on a regular basis. It's about trapping gray water and recycling it, you know, to use it. It's about using shower loop systems that filter water and then provide it for you in a way that you can still use it. So it's potable. You know, it's about um, dry extrusion systems instead of waiting years for compost. It's about incorporating all of the massive technology that we have now to help protect our environment and ourselves. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience. And I think it really is now, is more important now than ever to be resilient, like you were mentioning. And it really reminds me of how sustainability is really holistic because there's the social, environmental, and economic components. And we are not going to have a sustainable world unless all three of those are in balance and unless it's a sustainable world for all where everyone can thrive, like you were mentioning. 
So it's really incredible that you're taking this and that you founded a nonprofit based on all of those beliefs. So can you talk a little bit about what led you to found the Eco Incubator and talk about how you went from food and mental health to kind of the design and construction world a little bit? I think the thing that encouraged me most to start the Inco Incubator was coming back home to Georgia and feeling like I had stepped back in time. Mm. Um, it really impressed upon me the necessity of uh, diverse education and information. Um, I think that Georgia is a unique place. It has a tough history. Um, but what I realized in coming back to it after 20 years is that it is very much pushing and striving socially to be something different than what mm. it has been recognized in the past. And so I saw a place, um, almost like an untapped market here where there was a thirst for this information, but because of where we were, there wasn't anywhere to access it. And I mean, if, if you can't, if you can't bring it all home at the end of the day, you know, I mean, and where's the fun in that, you know, you, you want to be able to come back to the place where you left and make it better. And so that's why I chose to do this in Georgia rather than somewhere like California or New York, where, you know, I wouldn't have to necessarily have the educational component. It wouldn't be required. Um, but here it's so valuable and it's so important. You know, these agricultural industries, states like ours, um, have such an impact on the whole rest of the country in ways that people struggle to even recognize or, or value at times that are so critical. And so, you know, the South will rise again and watch what we'll do. We'll, we'll rebrand that, you know? <laughs> We'll, we'll, uh, we'll change people's minds because it's us, right? People don't expect change to come from here. They don't expect advancement in thinking and ideologies to come from here. So when they do, it has even greater impact on people. Um, and then the second portion of your question was, was it how did I transition from sort of like this Clary Starling idea into this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, both of my parents are lawyers. I grew up in a household where uh, law and justice were heavily respected. The government was heavily respected. And I think it was a natural inclination to feel a connection to that. And, um, but <laughs> You know, when you do something like travel on your own, you are able to access parts of your ideology that would normally lie in recess because of social um, pressures. We tend not, as much as we like to think, we tend not to really think for ourselves. and stepping away and having that space and that time to really develop who I was as a person and identify my true purpose led me to see, yes, I have these skills, 
and I see why I thought they would fit here. But in truth, this job doesn't serve me or my soul as a person. And if I'm really to do anything to the best of my ability, it has to be something that resonates with my ideologies and my belief systems and who I am as a person. Or else I'm just giving you part of me. And then what is the point in that? What is the point of that of even being here if you're only going to live your life half full? So I began to look at my skill sets rather than the job ops. And it changed the formulation of how I put the information together um, in my mind and thus changed what I chose to do with my life. Um, what I saw was I wasn't learning about the psychology of the human brain so that I could put people in prison. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was learning about the psychology of the human brain so that I could add it to the trifecta that is humanity to help humanity. You learn about the brain, you learn about the spirit and the soul, and you learn about the body. And that's what I did. I learned in school about psychology. I learned in life and from shamans about spirit as I traveled around from all of these different places, curanderas, maestros, medicine people. You know, I learned about spirit. I learned about soul, going to various places and immersing myself into their religious practices, seeing where their hope and faith come from so that I can bring hope and faith to other people. I learned about nutrition. Why I love to serve people is because it's how I heal and nurture people. Food is medicine already to me. So my mother always said, paper gives you opportunities. So anything that I've had an inclination for, I have gotten traditional education in, and it has afforded me the opportunity at the end result to be able to create this harmonious space where people can figure out who they are and expand to be their best selves. So it's a process of self-seeking and searching and balancing that with the external environment where you're expected to shine, where it's so critical that you do shine. And it is absolutely 100% not about what everybody else thinks is best for you to do. You are bringing hope to so many people. And I want to thank you for bringing this to Georgia, because like you said, there's a lot of us that are interested in sustainability and environmental causes, but it is kind of hard to find groups of people who are also interested in that being in the South. Like you said, it definitely is more prevalent in places like California where people are already so educated on these issues. And I think it's so incredible that you've chosen the South and chosen Georgia specifically because I think you are going to have such a huge impact in educating so many different people and bringing awareness to all these issues through your spirit and your hope that you are giving to so many people. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) It's a process, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for sure. Well, it, it brings up how I kind of started the podcast was that you, there's a lot of podcasts focused on what's happening on the West Coast or 
in these states where people are already so educated. And I thought I've met so many incredible people in Georgia and in the South who are also doing this work. So they need to be spotlighted as well. And we need to bring Georgia to the forefront and bring Georgia to the table of these issues because we have a voice too. And there's a lot of incredible people who are making a big impact here as well, like yourself. Yeah, yeah, there really, really are. I've been really blown away. Um, it is quite an experience to leave your home for 20 years and to come back and to plug and play because you have to bring your mind up to date with everything that's coming in now and, and cut off like everything that kind of happened before. And that's difficult because you've created categorical thinking in your mind about how you process in certain places. And I've just been so really blown away and touched by the magnitude of intelligence and passion centered around real um, change in Georgia, real, real fundamental and foundational change that's associated to sustainability in all ways, in all ways. It's just been, I feel so lucky. I feel so lucky to have come back and had the opportunity to meet so many unique people. Well, I'm really glad that you're a part of this movement. Getting into some of the logistics of the eco incubator, I read on the website that the facility will be a zero emissions community center space constructed of recycled, upcycled, and repurposed materials, including sustainable utilities such as composting toilets, aquaponics, greenhouse systems, solar power, and more. So building this facility, you're using recycled, upcycled, and repurposed materials. I'm just really interested to know where do these materials come from and what is the process like of finding the materials and building the facility? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> um, so because we do not have a circular economy, you have to track down waste. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so it is a unique process depending on what types of things we're looking for. Shipping containers are a bit of a trend at the moment. We also have a port, so there is some convenience there. We are building the space out of 16 shipping containers. That's our, uh, our, that's our foundation. Those are coming already pre-cut to spec from South Carolina. It's one person <laughs> that we were able to find to do this one thing. Right. Um, and so that's a lot of the process. It's a lot of following seeds. It's a lot of making phone calls and hearing that people can't do things for you. So it definitely takes a lot of legwork. Um, but because there's a waste problem, once you find that right person, it becomes very easy and can be really systematic in how you can retrieve the kind of materials that you need. Um, you know, we're working, marketplace is great. You know, uh, the things that you can do with tires, tires alone, you know, we have um, kind of several plateaued, it's the, the landscape of the area is kind of like a step, mm, okay. like if you were at Machu Picchu, like large steps. So we had the need for a retaining wall. Retaining walls can be bit, built out of shipping containers. Mm. I mean, I mean, can be built out of uh, tires. Wow. You know, we've got 
right? There's, there's a variety of ways to reuse and repurpose and upcycle that are not being accessed. Tires, for example, are free. They're free anywhere where you see a used tire sign or where people change tires. They have back stock of stored tires that they can't do anything with because we don't have a process for getting rid of them that's safe. So that is a free commodity that I have to build a whole wall with, to create plants with, trash receptacles with. You know, it's about rethinking things. Um, so it has been quite a process that is still ongoing. Um, the biggest pieces have been located, but it takes moving parts. Our goal from the beginning was to have everything be as local as possible. That has proved itself to be our greatest challenge. Mm. If you are going to build something, especially something as unique as this, that takes a learning process, you know, the whole idea behind green development and keeping it going is that you've got to begin to create a crew of people who can create these spaces. This isn't something that everybody knows how to do. You know, this is specialized skill set that takes thinking outside the box, that takes rethinking. And there's only certain people in life that are even willing to do that. You know, so once we assemble a team, it will be significantly easier for everyone after us to continue on with the process of green development, eco design, and sustainable living uh, arrangements and dwellings. Our, we, our ultimate goal um, is to encourage green housing, to create green and affordable housing. What we are creating at the Eco Incubator is a prototype that helps to destigmatize that helps to explain to people and show people, give them something tangible so that they're not at all confused about what we mean when we say sustainability. And once that's done, people will begin to be encouraged towards the concept because they'll see how much it encourages an enhanced lifestyle and a lifestyle that's more conducive to um, healthy living. So it's a trail of breadcrumbs. University is extremely helpful because their reach and their knowledge of what's around is so vast. So one of the most immediate things we did as an organization was to reach out to the University of Georgia, where we began immediately offering experiential learning opportunities for students and engaging with the sustainability department, um, the um, structural um, development department and engineering department. Um, so these pieces have also been helpful in finding the materials we need and locating the individuals who offer the skill sets um, within the community to achieve this, this goal. Because some people have the skill sets, but of course they've never done this. Mm -hmm. Like everybody doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Everybody so far in Georgia, right? Like outside of Atlanta, which we've had to, we had to get a structural engineer from Atlanta to sign off 
on our development because there are no, there's nothing on the books. There's nothing on the books for rammed earth structures. There's nothing on the books along the lines of specs for shipping container homes. So everything that we do has to be stamped um, by independent structural engineers um, mm. and architects. And the city has worked really, the city of Winterville has worked really well with us on it, allowing us to have the flexibility that we need as long as we make sure that everything is safe. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been a, a process of, of connecting with people and following breadcrumbs, which is why your podcast is so critical. So one of the things that I learned is just because the Athens is this tiny town, even me having come from Athens Academy, so being really locked into so many of the uh, major players in town, still people are like, you don't know this person. <laughs> like <laughs> this person is like, these is you don't know this, but you don't know. And it's, it's so funny because I'm going to sustainability meetings. I'm in Envision Athens and I'm, I'm, I'm watching and I'm experiencing and I'm thinking I'm overwhelmed by how many people I am meeting. And I'm hearing still, there's so many people that I haven't connected with. So that's even a part of what will help all of this process in the end. This is not an experience where it is, okay, here, now it's done. This will be a constant work in progress. Even after the space is developed, it will be a constant work in progress to continue to build other sustainable dwellings in the space using other mediums um, and materials of, uh, for building. So it's a, it's an ongoing, it'll be an ongoing process, much like humans themselves, right? It's, it's always about maintenance and it's always about the more you learn, the more there is to learn. With such a thoughtful design process and having to find all these people who have the skill sets to allow your vision to come to fruition, I'm sure it's a moving target, but what is the timeline for the development of the facility? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't even, I mean, so COVID is so frustrating. Yes. Um, and so we had a timeline set before Georgia opened back up. Okay. <laughs> and now that's completely different because now when we close, if we close again, you know, it depends. And because we are taking things from other states, it depends on those states as well. So right now, it is very difficult to say. The US Treasury also is who we're working with. The UN has something called green bonds set aside for green real estate development. And those are the funds that we have accessed in order to create not only this development at the Eco Incubator, but other various developments and um, closed loop communities that we are working on, like in Lane, South Carolina. Um, so because it's with the U.S. Treasury that will fulfill those bonds, everything, the dust has to settle a little bit before you know, first U.S. Treasury, they froze. They were like, nobody's getting anything until we figure a little bit of something out. 
everybody's coming for unemployment. <laughs> everybody's coming for everything that they would ever need for financial support from the government right now. Mm -hmm. Because we're in green real estate, that definitely puts us um, higher up on the priority scale. But at this point, we've done everything that we need to do on our side, and we're just waiting for um, our fulfillments to come in. I would like to say by this time next year, but I think that everything right now associated with any deadline about anything can only be taken um, with, with a grain of salt. You know, that's our goal. That is definitely our goal. We have the foundation laid and we need to get the shipping containers in. And that is where we have our, our largest hiccup now. That is something that needs to run really smoothly um, so that it remains cost effective. You cannot bring a shipping container in once a week. <laughs> you have to bring all the shipping containers in at the same time and you need to mm. set them with the crane, like within the same set of mm, two weeks. Wow. Well, I figured that was a hard question, but I'm just personally excited to see it all come to fruition. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners will be wanting to visit this facility once it's developed. So that's something to really look forward to in the future. We have, don't, uh, don't, don't let the facility worry you though, because we have plenty of learning opportunities and built into our, um, our educational process is moving out into the community. So the way that our educational design, our curriculum was set up was to be in-house three weeks out of the three weeks out of each month and out into the community one of those weeks of the month. So we'd be teaching classes at the facility and then we'd be out in the community educating, building community gardens. Um, talking to the local city and getting them invested in concepts such as dry extrusion, because our, our designs are already USDA and FDA approved. So it's just a matter of people getting on board. Um, so the, the idea, we still have internships available and we still have volunteer opportunities available. Um, so we are not by any means out of commission and we still have, if you go online, you can see how to get involved. Um, and on the, we've got 13 acres, so there's plenty of space to respect social distancing if you did wanna come out there and volunteer. Um, in the fall, I would like to set up and organize some outdoors courses, um, some things that would normally be done outside, right? Or with, with a lot of ventilation before it gets too cool. So I think we'll move into our soap making um, come fall and some uh, try to prepare people for the winter, um, tinctures, things like that, that can be done outside of a space where you've got to have people inside. So we are still moving forward. Um, and while the facility um, is slightly stalled in its development, the work that we are doing in the community and for the people is will not be stalling. Where can listeners find more information about how to volunteer or those internships that you mentioned? 
www.theecoincubator.org is our website and you can click on how to get involved and there's a little drop down menu there's one for volunteers and there's a whole calendar up um, and then there is also another link for internships so they're right there on the website you can read more about what we're doing you can look at a virtual tour of what the facility will look like um, and explore some course descriptions for what's going to be offered in the future. Perfect. I'll share the link to that website in the show notes so everyone can check that out and find out more information on how they can support the Eco Incubator. As we come to the end of the episode, I'm interested to find out are there any other facilities like this out there? And do you see a future where more of these facilities become prevalent across the country? Um, yes, I see a future of it because it is my aim to do it. <laughs> so yes, I see a future because I see a future that looks very different. Um, Post-COVID, there is no going back to how things used to be. And what we're focused on at the Eco Incubator, even pre-COVID, was post-COVID, because there was always the concept and idea that any kind of institution that's heavily stressed is more likely to falter or collapse or not be able to support. So it was already happening. Our goal is to create these training centers all around the world. That's why our motto is a world that sustains, not an Athens that sustains or a Georgia that sustains. Our reach is intended to be global. It already is global. Our contracts are global. Our goals are global. So we are really acting as a training facility for the future. So it's most definitely our desire for this to be what is the new norm for people to be learning how to take care of themselves. Why was it the norm in the first place, I think, is the <laughs> biggest question. But yes, are there any right now? There are, there are many in the works. And what I am seeing happening with the sustainability community is that we are starting to collaborate together. Um, growing up in Georgia, actually being at the University of Georgia, I'm sure you see how much we can tend to silo. Yes. You know, and, and we have that same issue. Like even how many people are into sustain, that's why, that's why it's hard. That's why this podcast is so important because it's linking people who should already be linked but everybody working in silos creates a space where people are working hard towards the same goal instead of collaboratively towards the same goal, smarter towards the same goal. So that is what I am seeing right now. These concepts and people ready to move on them and what we're doing right now is figuring out where we all are and connecting and collaborating. It is a big part of what the Eco Incubator and Sets Waste Management, um, our brother company, does on the side, in the background. We are finding all of these like-minded people. We'll be instituting a virtual training program that helps to prepare people for jobs in the future. 
because a job in the future will not be handing out smiley faces at the Walmart. Jobs in the future will be jobs that are critical and beneficial that use the extensive amount of capability and skills that we have as human beings to make a better world and to make a better place for all of us. Those will be the jobs for the future. Um, I think it's becoming more and more apparent to people how valuable it is to do something of value. As they are now seeing at home, so many people even collecting more in unemployment than they were collecting from their actual jobs. You know, it's going to change how people think. And there's no way that anybody's going to sit down and quietly go back to how things were before. And empowering people and giving them the strength to not have to depend, to live independently, will, I think, be so much of what helps to push that, make people real warriors for their own justice, for their own health and thriving. Because if we don't fight for it, I think it's clear that no one's going to fight for it for us. I truly believe that we're all stronger together and we can accomplish more when we all work together and identify each of our strengths for the better. So that's a really great point that you bring up especially your generation, your numbers will win the game on their own. But the fact that you guys have so much drive, so much passion for each other and the environments in which you live, your communities, it's like something I have never seen before. And I believe that you are all here at a very critical time to do some really amazing work to change this country. And you're a part of that. And whatever we can provide to create bridges for people to do more of that, that is our aim. This is the time that we change the whole world and make it the place that we believe it should be. If we don't strike now, we're going to miss our opportunity. So educating people, making it all known, you know, shedding light on the truth and focusing on ourselves, you know, looking inward, being self-aware. What, what am I doing that I can do better at? How, how can I contribute more? How can I be a better support system for the people around me so that they in turn are my support system as well, right? I think, oh, I'm excited. I'm excited for the future. I'm so excited that you guys are a part of it. Like you millennials are gonna, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> blow it out of the water. And it's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful time to be alive. It's, it's a scary time to be alive because it's transition, but I mean, history books, man, <laughs> all about this right now. Hearing from you makes me incredibly hopeful and just super excited, like you said, for the future. For the last question, I like to ask the guests what they are hopeful about. This entire episode has provided me hope, but what are you hopeful about specifically? Oh, I am hopeful about humanity coming through in the clutch, for sure. I am hopeful about all of the people that I stand side by side with and I say hello to every day. People are waking up and that makes me hopeful. You know, um, we're we're made for this, you know, and I believe in a great and beautiful future. I really do. I'm hopeful in humanity. I, all of this stuff, you know, we Americans are driven by fear. 
They shoved fear down our throats all day long. And I'm not going to start fearing my neighbor. And I'm not going to start fearing my communities or my politicians or anybody else. You know, when I am pushed, I'm going to choose the higher road. And I am hopeful that the majority of everyone else will too. Ian Alexis, thank you so much for being a guest on Hopefully Sustainable. This has been one of the most inspirational conversations I think we've had on the podcast. So thank you so much for all of the amazing sustainability work that you are doing. And I know I can speak for the whole sustainability community, but we are very thankful that you are a part of it. And I'm excited to see all the work that you accomplish in the future. So thank you for being here today. So much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a gift just to have the opportunity to spread the word and the good vibes. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's guest or just say hello, check out the show notes and find us on Instagram at hopefully sustainable pod. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As you finish this episode, remember that we are all on a personal journey to make the world a better place, but it's all about progress, not perfection. Until next time, stay hopeful and stay sustainable.